Welcome to the Break Your Bullshit Box podcast, where excuses aren't tolerated and results are earned through authenticity, vulnerability, and a commitment to excellence. My name is Amber Furman, success architect, attorney, and NLP trainer. If you're ready to bitch slap the bully in your brain, overcome the bullshit that holds you back, and design the life and success you've always wanted, then it's time for you to break your bullshit box and step into designing life and success on your terms. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Break Your Bullshit Box podcast. I am so freaking excited to have Nick Scarbacio with me. He is the co-founder and business coach at Culture to Cash, which I'm so excited to dig into because we don't often think about money and cash and culture in the same thing. It's kind of this taboo topic that we're always told not to talk about. So I'm super excited to dig into this with him. He's the co-founder and business coach at Culture to Cash, an organization dedicated to assisting ambitious business owners across industries in reaching exceptional outcomes. Um, leveraging principles honed over years of experience, Nick and his team guide companies towards doubling their revenue, tripling their profit, and increasing their business value tenfold. I'm so excited for this conversation for a couple of reasons. Number one, we always hear people talk about what you need in order to have the life that you want to live, but very rarely is the conversation about how you're living that life brought into that calculation. And I'm really excited for the way that Nick approaches this. So rather than me tell you all of the juicy details, I'm going to go ahead and bring Nick in and we're going to have this fantastic conversation. If you are listening to this on the live stream and something that Nick or I say sparks your interest, go ahead and comment, ask questions. We'll do what we can to work that into the episode. And without further ado, let's go ahead and bring Nick in. Hey, Nick, how you doing? I'm great, Amber. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks so much for um, coming on the show. I really, really appreciate you giving us your time. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Awesome. So let's dig in just a little bit by finding out who you are. And I want to go back a little bit because I love hearing people's stories. So young Nick, like high school age Nick, what, yeah. did, if, what did young Nick think that you were going to be doing right now? Oh, well, young Nick thought he was going to be a professional athlete of some sorts, uh, you know, much like the the kids, we, we thought we were going to be these big grandiose things. And then we find out that there's 7 billion people on the planet and that percentage shrinks, shrinks, shrinks. So, um, you know, the story that got me to today is I was a high school athlete, played football, basketball and volleyball. I uh, ended up playing two collegiate sports uh, for Long Beach State. I played rugby and for Long Beach City College, played volleyball, went through four years of school. And when I got done with sports, didn't really know what I wanted to do. So moved back home to San Francisco, California, just started working jobs like most people do, got sucked into the family business of real estate. And I spent 16 years uh, building up our company in real estate and residential property management. Throughout all that time in 2010, opened up a fitness gym, built that up, exited that in 2019. And right in between the middle of all that 2014-15, started doing business coaching and uh, really men's transformational coaching. Worked for a very large organization worldwide called Wake Up Warrior for a few years. Fast forward to 2023, and I went all in on our uh, business coaching and consulting in 2020 because it was the, the real passion. 
had got a lot of reps in, but realized this is what I want to do. I love it. There's so much about what you just said that I think is important to point out. And the first is this um, willingness to take the skills that you've learned and shift and put those into something else that you think may be that next adventure for you. You know, so many people call it the entrepreneurial curse that we feel the need to jump from one thing to another. But if we do it right, it's not really jumping. You do this, you do it well, you get out of it what you're meant to get out of it. And then you move on to something else. I feel like there's this lifespan to each of the parts of our career. But when we go back to young kids, we were always taught, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, pick it now and stick with it forever because it's going to be set in stone. A bit of the philosophy we we guide ourselves by and coach our clients in in Culture to Cash is we're in this weird spot uh, in the, tw- the 2000s, 2020s at this point because the people who raised us, whether it was our parents or our grandparents or society, They were the labor-based blue-collar mentality because it's what it was. It was the uh, industries of mechanics, producing products, and, you know, corporate world, put your tie on, show up, and just crunch some numbers. Well, fast forward to the late 80s, now 90s, and we've got this thing called the computer, which we're talking about, talking on now, and it's changed the game. So that thought process of, you know, get a job, work there for 40 years, get your gold watch, retire with a pension, that doesn't work anymore. Yeah, it's funny that I always tell people that we focus so much now at um, both Culture to Cash and Success Development Solutions, my company, we focus on... um, are you loving what you're doing? Are you getting fulfillment Mm. out of it? Are you just working to have money? Are you working to have a life? And so many of my clients say, you know, Amber, (laughs) my family, I just thought that they would support me and they're not supporting me. And I said, well, you got to understand if somebody went to them in the past and said, do you love your job? They'd be like, what does that have to do with working? Yes. There's those two things don't mesh. They're two different conversations. Um, And that goes into this cycle of finding the people who do support you, whether that's a coach or a mentor or um, whether it's just a circle of friends, the mastermind style um, think and grow rich mentality mm-hmm. or somebody that that gets it because we could beat our heads against the wall trying to get past generations to understand why it's important to us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I am one of the number one case studies for that. While I was very successful in real estate uh, and residential management and the gyms, I was miserable. I was depressed. You know, I'm very open about this in in John Q. Public uh, forums. I was depressed. I was heavily overweight. I was an alcoholic. I was just miserable. And but that was all internalized. Like you could see the physical weight, but you couldn't see the weight I was wearing mm. as the individual. And to everyone else, it's like, oh, he's doing well. He's got the house. He's got the kids, the dog, the car. And it's like, I hate every second of this. So it's that hard piece of when can you actually go pursue what you want to do? And how do you overcome that first hurdle? Like you mentioned, because usually it's maybe it's our spouse or our family or someone close to us. They're that immediate hurdle because they're really, truly trying to protect you. They're scared for you. But it just comes off of, oh, you don't want to allow me to do what I should do. 
Yeah, absolutely. I also think there's this component. I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. I think there's com this component that because of the way that traditional education is set up, which is to prepare you for college, um, we don't actually get the opportunity as kids to figure out what it is that we want to do, which is why that young adult's um, period of getting different jobs and exploring different things is so important. For the person that was asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they looked at what's going to make me the most amount of money so that I can do what I want to do. And they never did that experimental phase. Where's your starting point advice for them to start to figure out? Because so many of our clients, both yours and mine, we look at and we're like, what do you want to do? And they're like, I have no idea. I'm no, I, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, the, the advice is be willing to fail. Be willing to fail. And as long as you learn something inside of it, it was a success. Like you can always move forward from that. A great example of this. I don't know if you've heard of the Savannah Bananas. Oh, I love uh, them so much. Yeah. I mean, just phenomenal. But Jesse Cole writes in his book, like they tried 25 to 26 new things every other night and 24 of them fail. But one piece sticks around and makes that experience that much better. So we're not allowed to do that anymore. As a, you know, as kids now, you go through grade school, you go to high school, you go to college. That wasn't around 150 years ago. Like it's relatively a new idea, this higher education. It was, you got to learn what was around you. Your, your dad was a blacksmith. Maybe your uncle was a butcher. You got to pick and choose like which one you wanted to go learn from. And if one didn't work out, you went to the other. We don't have that trial and error anymore. And Agreed. then that's also what I see keep business owners stuck is they're so afraid of failure that they lose the ability to innovate and move inside of their business. So talk about, let's talk about that for just a minute. This idea that innovation comes out of failure. I think that there's so much thought process going into the success part of things. And people are so afraid to talk about their failures because what are people going to think about me if they find out that I did this and I wasn't successful? Um, which that unwillingness to talk about it then breeds this taboo, well, can I talk about it? And makes it more awkward for everybody, right? Um, how do new business owners actually embrace their failures. And I'm not talking like the mindset side of it, because that's a whole different conversation. Like just fail. It's the reality is you just do it. But like, do you have a tactical piece of advice for people to figure out and learn from their failures? Yeah. Yeah. So the first one is the quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. You wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you if you realized how seldom they do. That whole fear of failure is only in between these two ears. Like if you fail next week, the next week you might hear from your boss or you might hear from a colleague, but most likely you're not going to. So get over the fear by realizing no one's going to care if you fail. Like it's part of the process. Now, as for the tactical piece, yes, this is what we work on with our clients inside of Culture to Cash is let's build out the vision, the strategy and the growth plan and we're making our best educated guesses for the next 90 days, one year, three years. But be very aware. Things can change at the drop of a pin. Hey, 2020, March 14th or whatever it was, all of a sudden we all can't go outside of our houses. 
who planned for that? Right. Mm -hmm. So, but it doesn't stop you. It's just a roadblock or an obstacle that you have to course correct around. So proper vision and growth planning becomes the ability to fail properly. I love it so much. Um, I ask because I'm always brought back when we get into this conversation about failure to the period of time. And I don't hear it as much anymore, but about two years ago, I was seeing it everywhere where it was like, fall in love with failing, fall in love with failing. And I'm like, that's such bullshit. Like, don't fall in love with failing, fall in love with learning from your failures. Yes. Right. Because when we say fall in love with failing, like there is this value in going out and saying, oh, that didn't work. I, that doesn't define me. But what about that didn't work? Yes. Because if we can't identify that, then all we're doing is rinse and repeating, feeling good about ourselves that we didn't accomplish our goal. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think the problem that people get stuck with that is when we fail, if we're struggling with just the mindset around it, we do such a big course correction or a turnaround that we, we change so much, we don't know what actually didn't work. It's like split testing on a website. You don't change 50 things at once. You change that one button from blue to red, and then you wait. And you go, okay, that didn't work, so now let's try green. And then all of a sudden, green works. As humans, and especially humans in the day and age we're in with so much accessibility to everything we have, we change way too much, way too often, and it's not failure at that point. It's just new plan after new plan after new plan. You yeah. got to let it sit and marinate for a little and see what actually sticks. Yeah, which is the hardest part, right? That marination. And, you know, so my background is as an immigration attorney. And I tell my clients when we're going into a citizenship interview, like the interview is the interviewer is going to be flipping through pages and there's going to be silence. That's not your invitation to talk. It's not your invitation to start offering things. They don't want more information from you. They need time to process what you've said, look at the file and decide what they're going to ask next. And that's very similar to what happens here. Somebody changes something and then they're like, wait, 2.7 millimeters of a second has gone by and I don't have the results that I want. So I must need to change something else. And in the meantime, the people that they want to reach hasn't even noticed anything was changed. Yeah. So I, I really like that advice. I'm a big proponent of physical discomfort to get you in the mindset for business, professional, emotional, and relational discomfort. How much did, and, and discomfort, let me rephrase that. Growth is the better word. I mean, you do have to be uncomfortable to grow. My background is in obstacle course racing. Your background mm. is in sports. How much of your background in sports plays into your day-to-day -day in how you run your business? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Uh, it's definitely there. Part of it's just the competitiveness. I want to win. Um, part of it is the reminders of, hey, you don't win every game you play, so you're going to lose. You're going to get your butt Wouldn't that every be nice? once in a while. Um, but again, it comes to strategy. A big piece of when I coach clients is every championship team has three pieces. They have a playbook, they have the players, and they have a coach. So if you're struggling, whether it's inside of lifestyle, business, whatever it may be, ask yourself, do I have these three pieces? Mm. You know, hey, lifestyle, I'm not losing the, the weight the way I want to. Okay, well, do you have a program you're following? Yeah. 
Uh, do you have a player? Oh yeah, that's me. Do you have a coach? No, I don't. Okay. So who's holding you accountable? And I'm not saying go hire, you know, one of the coaches off biggest loser, but it's maybe just get accountable with your spouse or a friend. Same thing inside a business. One of those three pieces is often missing. If you're not hitting the success levels you want. Yeah. You said a couple of things on this call that um, have piqued my interest about the way that you approach planning and goal setting. And I feel like there's two major schools of thought when it comes to planning and goal setting. And one is the start with the end in mind and work your way backwards. One is the start from where you're at and make your little baby steps and then figure out where you want to go from there. I personally believe it's a combination of the two, but I'm curious to know how you approach the big picture versus the little picture and how you make that all work for overall success. Yeah. So um, whether it's personal or business, we, we start with the end in mind. Start, you know, Simon Sinek said it, start with why. Like, why do you want to do this? So, you know, I'd mentioned to you previously, we break it into three things. Let's get clear on your three ultimate ambitions in life career and financial. And those are completely individual because life is what kind of life. Do I want to live? I have the desire to live a life now and into my retirement without compromise. What that means is my wife, my kids, hopefully some grandkids, some days, our pets, we get to do what we want. So not without, you know, not breaking the law or anything like that, but it's like, Hey, if we want to go on vacation, we're going to go on vacation. I want to sit and work for 40 hours a week. I'll keep doing that too. Then the career, like, hey, do I love what I do? And I do now. As I had mentioned earlier, I didn't all the time. And while I was successful on paper, I was not successful at home. So the last one is financial. Like, do you actually understand the amount of money you're going to need saved up, earned and invested so you can retire to live that life without compromise? We are in a society at this point that I don't believe enough people understand most of us are going to need some type of equity event, mm -hmm. whether it's our own company, being a part of a company to live a really good life in retirement. It's just very expensive to live these days. So yeah. if you're stuck, miserable, just working a job you don't like, fast forward 25, 35, 40 years ago, ooh, I really don't want to keep doing this. Maybe time for a pivot. Yeah. And, you know, I hate to take this to the morbid discussion, although it's inevitable. Um, when you fast forward that 25, 35, 45 years, one of the things that we get to realize is let's hope you make it right. Like you, this is the hardest conversation for me when I talk to people that are like, it's okay. I, I have all these goals and dreams, but I got to take care of this first. And then I, I'm going to get my retirement first. And my dad passed away at 42. I'm 40. Yeah. And I thought, so when he passed away, I was 19 and 18, getting ready to turn 19 and 42 was ancient. My dad lived forever at 40, 42 is like 12. Like I have so many years left in me. And I think one of the most powerful exercises every, anybody ever had me do um, and you know, it's powerful when you want to punch them in the face and thank them at the same time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so was the, the sit at your funeral, um, mm. exercise, you know, if you are an observer at your own funeral, who's there, who's not there, what are they saying? What are they not saying? Did you live the life that you wanted to live? Um, I love the way that you approach this because you bring 
the realistic side of the fact that we can't just fuck around all day, all the time. Um, we've, we've got to have a plan. We've got to have, you know, a business or a job that we like or whatever that is. Um, but you've got to have a fun conversation to it too. It can't be all or the other. And I love the way that you integrate those. Yeah. It's, you've got to want to do it. You know, you've, if you, if you aren't enjoying it and that, you know, sometimes people go, oh, it's a little woo woo, Nick, like you're not going to enjoy every day. No, you're not. There are going to be bad days. There's just too many of them in, in the month, in the year. But if we can have a majority of good, happy, productive, you know, go get after it days, we're going to live a pretty goddamn good life. And I mean, do we do things in our business that we don't like? I mean, of course we do. Like the really cool thing though, is that the more that you dedicate yourself to it, the more you get to hire out those things mm. because there are people, and I think they're psychopaths, but there are people who like love accounting and yeah. numbers and business and taxes, and they can have all of that shit. Yep. There's people that like love doing like art and graphic design. And those people are just below psychopaths. Yeah. So I, I get it. Like we so often look at, Oh my God, if I start this business, it's going to be so hard. And, and it is going to be challenging in the beginning when you stick with it though, you get to then hire the people who love doing the things that you despise. And that was one of the most freeing conversations for me because I always thought, but it's my business. I got to do it all. Yeah. I got to take care of it all. I got to wear it all on my shoulders. And the moment that we let somebody take over that, um, you and I were talking a little bit about this in the staffing conversation. You know, what type of virtual assistants are you bringing into this? How do you build your staffing? Yeah. So when you're talking to your companies, how do you bring this conversation into your planning? Yeah. So uh, we work off of four pillars and they're four pillars in a specific order. It's people, strategy, execution, cash. So, you know, people, it's the hardest part of being a business owner. It's the hardest part of being an employee because we all have different personalities. We all have different wants, desires. So we're taking a group of people, smashing them into an organization and going, hey, figure it out. Good luck. Yeah. Best of luck to you. So a big part of what we do is we look at the structure of the organization. Hey, do we have the right seats? Does it seem like it's all formulated properly? Cool, good, next step. Do we have the right people in the right seats? You know, you mentioned, I would never want to do accounting. I don't want to do this. We use a lot of uh, personality index and profile uh, mm -hmm. assessments inside with our clients because we want to make sure, hey, if the treasurer, CFO, controller, whatever you want to call it, like, do they have the makeup to enjoy that? Not to yeah. do it, not to do it. Because most, especially when you're an uh, entrepreneur, solopreneur, like you do everything because you have to, but it definitely does not mean you like to do it. So yeah. once you have the opportunity, get the psychopath who likes to crunch numbers and put them <laughs> in there because they're going to be super happy. Now we go like, oh man, I really hate sales because maybe I'm an introverted person or I just don't really like doing it great, let's go find the person that doesn't mind if they get a hundred doors slammed in their face every day. So when you start putting the right people into the right seats, doing the right things, you get to sit back as the owner, the visionary, what you should be and go, wow, you know, it's kind of nice doing this. Like, this is a good way to run a business. Why didn't I do this earlier? 
Yeah. As we always say in the coaching industry, when it doesn't work the first four times, do it the way your coach said the first time, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why didn't I listen when my coach told me to delegate? And I think what's really cool about this too, is that the more that you do that and the more that you create your team intentionally, people are surprised by what they actually really like to do. And so giving people the freedom to explore and shift and change um, is so important as you're building your business. Absolutely. You know, part of that people process we go through is before we even go to market with the job, we're very clear on what's the scorecard, another sports reference. What's the scorecard? Because what we know is true for all human beings, we like to win, but we can only win if we understand the rules and we understand the game. So we get very clear on the scorecard, we build it out. And when we bring people into the organization, what we're allowing them to do is thrive. That's the key to culture. It's not the ping pong table in the lobby. It's not the barbecues every month. Like those are all great. Yeah, keep doing them. But it's the opportunity to give people moments of time where they can work what Patrick Lencioni refers to as their zone of genius. Mm -hmm. That seems like the worst thing ever. But inside, that guy is just happy as can be figuring out where all the pennies and the decimals and everything go. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, we I talk about this when I do some leadership stuff, too. And I know you do a lot of leadership conversations where somebody's like, I'm trying to put together like the best benefits package I can for my team. And I'm like, good for you. And they're like, what should I include? And I'm like, what the fuck are you asking me for? I'm not on your team. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Go ask them what they want. Oh, I can do that. I was like, you better do that. Like you people spend so much time going, I want, I'm going to give them the spa day and it's going to be amazing. And they're like, dude, I just want Fridays with my kids. Like, yeah. that's all I want. Um, and, and to your ping pong, your ping pong point, employers spend so much time giving people an escape from the job that they have to do instead of helping them create an environment where they don't feel like they need to escape from it. Yeah. And that it's, again, it's that zone of genius. Most people who are seeking that escape aren't working in their zone of genius. Like they're not doing something that gives them energy. They're doing things that take energy from them. You know, that personality profiling we do, we go over it with all the individuals and I always tell them because there's 25 competencies that they get listed on. And I go, look, these bottom five, it's not that you can't do the job. But if you did that for 40 hours a week, for 12 months, for 10 years, you'd be miserable. Yeah. You may get the job done really, really well, but you'd hate it. So what if we flip that on its head and we do the five things we really like? And then you're really good at it. You're high energy and we get someone else to do the other things. Yeah, absolutely. I love it so much. So you have this way of being able to break down things and communicate. And I, I truly believe it comes from your sports background as well as your leadership and communication and real estate background. I think those two things together have allowed you to be able to see conversations. Um, when you're talking to people and they just think that it came so naturally for you. Let's talk a little bit. This is the Break Your Bullshit Box podcast. What's some of the bullshit that you've had to overcome in your life to be able to get to the person that you are now that can help people make all these changes? Yeah, a lot of failure. I, I mean, it's the, the things that have gotten me are to where I'm at are the things that I sucked at in the past. So I just found 
where was I stuck? And I tried to break through. Sometimes it was easy. Most times it was not. Most times it was, you know, a hard fought battle. I didn't think I'd make it through. And I finally get there. But it's also once I got past the ego perspective and mm. said, look, I don't have all the tools. I will never have all the knowledge. I'm not the person who can read a textbook in two days and retain 95% of it. Like I'm going to need help. Culture to Cash is three individuals as co-founders. Why? Because we all bring unique pieces to it. So we complement each other. I know if I'm really struggling with the culture piece and you know how to dive deep, I can go to my partner, Matt. I know if I've got an issue that I'm struggling with and I can't really map out a plan for a client three years out because I'm, I'm not seeing something in the strategy, I can go to my other partner, Corwin. So it's, it's, so it's not this, there's no gift. Leaders are not born. I despise that quote. Leaders are made and they're made by a willingness to be open and vulnerable to learn what they need to learn. That's it. I love that. I love that. And your ego comment is so important. We go into it just believing that we have to save face no matter what happens. And we lead with ego so much. So I love that you brought that up. And I love the co-founder comment as well. You know, I don't have... Um, traditional business partners in my business. I own 100% of it. I do, however, have a lot of people that I work with that have input in that I go to for trusted conversations. Um, there's so many people out there who have these beliefs that if they want to make it, they got to do it alone. And if they team up with somebody, it's weakness. And I love seeing people that are like, we are so much stronger together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is when you try to go it alone, you have to wear every single hat. And when we go back to that conversation of energy, when you get stuck in a hat that doesn't give you energy, it's making everything else, you know, a pain in the ass for lack of a better word. You know, we had this conversation as co-founders just two weeks ago. My one business partner, Corwin, he's like, hey, I just want to say sorry. Like, I know I've been bombarding you with ideas lately and it's probably got to be a lot. And I, I told him, you know, hey, fuck you. You don't have to say sorry. Like, here's the deal. <laughs> I know how your crazy visionary brain works. Like you just go off on tangents, but here's the good news. The pragmatic side of me goes, all right, here's a hundred ideas. Those 99 are terrible, but here's the yeah. one that we should go implement. And then we run it through the third filter. So it's, you need to have the opportunity to get your information filtered. And if you're trying to do it all on your own, that's again, just your ego keeping you from greatness. Yeah. Uh, did you see the interview? And I don't know how long ago it was. It was fairly recent. I know that, um, that Matt Damon did talking about Jack Nicholson on the departed mm, and the way I that don't know he... if I did. Yeah. Have you seen the movie departed? Oh yeah. Great movie. Okay. Yeah. It is a great movie. It's a, it's a little psycho. Um, and that's part of what makes it great. Um, there's this incredible interview that Matt Damon did where he talks about the way that Jack approached this scene where it was this written scene that was, you know, this person shoots this person and they go on their way. And he was like, this is what we're going to do. Just leave the camera rolling and gave him like 17, 18, 19 ideas that went from like kind of sadistic to probably not going to get shown on 
um, streaming sadistic. Yeah. Um, and then the director cut out what he wanted and what he was left with was so much better than what was just written on the page. I love this because Jack wasn't tied to, you've got to take my ideas. It was, this is what I'm going to give you. Take what you think fits, take what you don't, you, it's yours, it's your project. Um, yet he felt safe and willing enough to say, these are the ideas that I have. And there was this freedom given to him. And when we look at movies that are created like this, and we find out how much of those great moments that are in cinematic history were unplanned and unscripted. And we honor that and we love that part of it. And then we go into our business and we put people in these boxes and we say, this is where you belong. And we close off conversation. And I just found it really interesting that we don't approach business the same way of, here's this freedom, let's drop the ego and let's see how we can do this better. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the number one thing that keeps small to mid-market businesses down is their unwillingness to open up and let the ideas come in because how do we know something's a great idea? We don't have any market proof when we know it's a great idea, but we have this feeling inside, like our physical biology is triggered. You know, when you find something you really like or you want to buy something, you're like shaking. You're like, oh, I'm excited. Our biology is triggered. Well, when you don't allow that open possibility to come into you and you just have the blinders on, move forward my way or the highway, that's why maybe you're stuck at a million a year, two million a year, three million a year. All the companies that get into those big numbers, they have leaders that were willing to go, hey, anyone got a good idea? Okay. Like, look at Apple. One of the biggest companies yeah. in the world. Uh, I had read an article. It blew my mind. The iPad was ready before the iPhone. What? They got, they got pushback because everyone goes, no one's going to hold this tablet <laughs> thing. Like th this isn't something people know. Hey, can yeah. we shrink it down to a phone? Oh, okay. That makes sense. Like I, I get what you're saying. So all of a sudden it's like this great idea has become better just because someone was smart enough to go, yeah, it doesn't really excite me, doesn't trigger me, but it'd be cool if it was in a phone. Like, I'd do that thing. Well, and what's so cool about that is originally my first thought was, man, that's awful. Do you know how great it would be to have the iPad earlier than we had it? But then there's this readiness conversation, right? Would the iPad had flopped because we still had phones that were connected to like yeah. other things, right? It wouldn't so have our been adopted. still flipped up. And so if somebody said, you know, here's this spaceship that you can talk on and carry around with you, right? So yeah. I love the idea of stair-stepping that and coming back to it. And it, there's just so much greatness there. That's awesome. So as you dig into culture to cash and you continue to grow that, what's the big vision that you see for it in the future? Yeah. So our, our vision is uh, pretty clear. We, we help um, home service companies primarily, um, you know, roofers, contractors, painters, like those, the guys who like to get their hands in the dirt, blue collar businesses tends to be our, uh, our, our wheelhouse because we're a little rough and tumble too. Um, but we're helping companies like you mentioned in the opening 2x revenue, 3x profit, and ultimately 10x enterprise value for the sole purpose of that equity event piece. We want to reward the men and women that are working their butts off and actually live a life that they can afterwards. 
right now, retirement's being pushed further and further back because people just can't afford to live the way they need to on their current retirement. So if we can help create that equity event, but more importantly, in the meantime, the promise we make to our clients is we're going to cut the day-to-day -day management by 50% in 90 days. So if you're working 80 hours a week right now, we're going to get you down to 40 hours in 90 days so you can enjoy life. Oh, so I you can that. go spend time with your kids. I was the walking zombie that got pissed off when my wife would challenge me and say, you're not here. You're not connected. I'm like, I'm coaching baseball. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But I was so preoccupied with work that the shell of the man was there. The mind and the heart were completely separate. So oh we, we want people to be connected to life. Like enjoy why you're doing it. Understand why you're doing it. Paychecks are great. They're necessary. We understand this money. Money is a requirement, but we're trading in a whole different currency. We're trading in a currency of connection and enjoyment and fulfillment for our business owners. Yeah. And if all we needed to do was collect a paycheck, there's 9 million ways we could do that and be miserable. This business ownership and growth thing is not easy. No. It's not hard either. It's not hard when you do it right. It takes work, but it's not unattainable for anybody. But if we want it easy, we could find ways to to do that and not put in the stress and the pain and the, the heartfelt nature. I talk to my coach all the time and I tell her, you know, there are days where I wish I could just go back to the ignorant person that didn't know I was in control of my future every now and then. But then I remember that the misery that I was in when I was that person is what led me to find other options. It's this teeter tottering between um, wishing sometimes we could go back to when we thought it was easy. And then remembering that when we thought it was easy, we were miserable as hell and looking for a way out of it. Yeah. It's so crazy the way the human brain works. Well, we call it, you know, I refer to it as the trifecta of insanity. Like this, <laughs> being a business owner is never going to be easy, easy because what did we decide to do? I'm not going to work for someone else. I'm going to go open my own business. Strike number one, you must be somewhat insane to go do this. Most of us at some point are going to get married. We're making one of the biggest commitments inside of all of humanity. Oh, and hey, cherry on top, let's have some kids. <laughs> so let me run all three of these things at once that in their own are all these giant obligations, but now I'm going to put all three together. So when work's on fire, I'm disconnected at home. So how do I overcome that? Well, you know, and we see this flip-flop a lot. You go put a whole bunch of time and effort into your family and you're feeling the love, you're feeling joy. And then you walk into the office and you're like, why'd we lose $10 million? Yeah. What happened there? Or the foot you go and you make $10 million, but your wife wants to stab you in your sleep and your kids don't even know they're calling you John instead of dad. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, how do we overcome this and actually have all three pieces work harmoniously? Well, and COVID was so important for this too, because I think that people didn't realize how disconnected they had become until they were forced to stay home. Yeah. And then the idea of going back to that disconnected place became really gut-wrenching. Um, this is why my law firm is scaling down. You know, I will never close it, close it. However, I don't have any staff anymore. I don't have um, any real overhead in it. And I'm building the coaching business up because I would go out to trainings and I would go out and speak and I would have these co coaching conversations and every part of those conversations would fill my soul. 
And then I would walk in my law firm and it was like an immediate drain to all of my energy. But the law firm was where the, you know, multi six figures were. Paying the bill. They were in the coaching, right? And then similar to what you said before, as you start to vocalize this, then everybody looks around you and is like, but how can you not be happy? Like, look at what you have, look at what you've obtained, look at what you get to do. You're like, you don't understand. And it's, it's impossible to explain to somebody until they experience it. Yes, for sure. So for individuals who want to reach out and continue this conversation with you, what is the best way for them to reach you and um, how can they get in contact with you? Yep. So best way, we've got our website, culturetocash.com. That's spelled out, no number. Uh, You can reach me on any of the social media platforms at my name. Uh, The invitation I would give is if someone is sitting in that space and they want to figure out like, am I doing what I want to do? Do I know know how much money I need to retire? We do a whole process where we give you the plan and we'll give you the rough plan and say, hey, if you need $5 million in your business in 10 years, Here's the moves we would make. And we give you that initial plan because our our whole piece is the execution and implementation. We are the coach. I had mentioned the three pieces. You are the player. Now we'll have a playbook, but we're the coach to help you integrate it all. So you come, you figure out what is it I'm actually trying to achieve with my life, my business? What are my desires, my ambitions? And if it looks like a good fit, we have a conversation from there. That's awesome. Well, go ahead and we'll put those links in the show notes. And then if you have like a calendar link or a call application or anything like that, go ahead and shoot that over and we'll get that in the show notes as well when this comes out. Um, Before we wrap up, I'd love to um, do a quick random round and go down a couple rabbit holes with you. Are you okay with that? I'm good. Yeah, let's go for it. If you could do any profession other than what you're doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt? Oh, any profession. I honestly, I'd, I'd like to be a professional sports coach. So okay. I, or, or I take that back. I don't know if my knees would handle it anymore, but I always joked as a kid and as a high schooler that I thought one of the best professional sports jobs was the bullpen catcher for a baseball team. Mm. Cause you got paid a, you got paid minimum salary, which I think is like $800,000 a year now. And all you got to do is warm the guys up. You don't actually have to go play. So that, that would probably be it right there. Travel the country, watching and playing some baseball. I love this question so much. And the reason is because you learn so much about people through it and what connects them to what they're doing now. And I find it interesting um, how many people that are in the coaching industry are okay not being the star player. Yeah. You know it's, what I mean? Like we're the star game. player of our business. But you go out and you change the world. I just want to help you make sure you get it done. It's a big piece of what we talk about with Culture to Cash is we are very integrated as coaches, probably a lot more so than most people are used to with business coaches and consultants. I tell people, I want a seat at the table. When you're doing a weekly meeting, I'm jumping in there. But I'm not doing the work. I'm there to support and ask questions and to uncover blind spots. I don't need to be the star player. Yeah. So, you know, that's what you are. I want you to be in the news. I want you to get the accolades. I want your team to love you. I just want to help you get there. Yeah, absolutely. I love it so much. All right. If you could time travel, where would you go and why? Ooh, if I could time travel, where would I go and why? I'd probably go pretty far back to, uh, 
not caveman, but maybe when we started just kind of becoming civilized human beings and just see how simple life was then. You know, simple is probably a bad word because you're probably running from lions and tigers and things like that. But it's I'll give you the example. It's always amazing for me to watch my children when we get out in nature for more than an hour or two because we disconnect them from the phones and the screens and their friends. And this different person just arrives. And it's a beautiful thing to see. So I would love to see, you know, what were personalities like back then? What was, how did it all work? How did it, I'm sure it was very hard, but it was probably also some, some good pieces to it that we don't get anymore. Yeah, I love that. When I was growing up, I grew up in a super small town in Southern Idaho. I grew up in a town of about 1800 people. Um, And that is off the grid enough. But my grandma had good friends that were not Amish, but they lived an Amish lifestyle. So mm. they lived completely off the grid. They had no power. They And they didn't do this for religious reasons. They did it because they were just tired of the bullshit that comes along with all yeah. those things. And they were painters. And so once a year, we would take um, about five days-ish, and we would go out to their house. We would use lanterns and coal stoves and we would paint with them. And it's amazing how many hours in the day you get back when you're not worried about all the bullshit that we deal with every single day with technology. Yeah, The days felt so long. That, and it scares me some of the things that kids don't know how to do these days. Yeah. You know, like imagine handing, handing my child a rotary phone. Hey, call your mom. <laughs> First off, if they knew the phone number, I might be shocked. But then yes. actually rotary over the numbers. I don't think that's a possibility anymore. So not at all. That's awesome. All right. And last, but definitely not least, if there was one resource that you think people should read or consume to help them along their business journey, what do you think that would be? Uh, You know, I'll go, I'll go simple for this one. Uh, Part of the framework that we coach off of is scaling up by Vern Harnish. It's been used in over 80,000 plus companies. And I mean, big companies like Atlassian, Redbox, um, who else? Apple Tree. I mean, multi-billion dollar companies have used the framework. Don't read it as a normal book. It's much like a stereo manual is what I tell people. Like you have a problem, you go to the index find <laughs> solution. It's not, it's not a good read straight through. Um, but if you're, if you're a business owner who's looking to scale, whether you're doing a hundred thousand a year or a hundred million a year, The principles inside of that book are outstanding. I love it. Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for um, sharing so many amazing bits of wisdom and so much about culture to cash and what your vision is. I love the place that you want to take people's understanding of what it means to build wealth. So I, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate being on. Thanks for the invite.